know some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, we haven't prayed yet. We haven't had a congregational prayer. Well, that's by design. And the reason why I wanted to do, this, do it this way today is many of us here have had a very long week. Some of us have dealt with illnesses. Some of us have dealt with death in the families. Some of us have dealt with just job-related issues. And so it's been a difficult week, if not for most of us, for all of us. And sometimes when we get busy, let's just be real. We forget to pray. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pray later. I'll, um, when I come home or tomorrow, we'll pray. Well, the Bible says that in my house, in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, it says that for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, right? That means everybody's welcome. That means everybody is here for a specific purpose. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. This is going to seem and feel like an eternity for some of you. I get it. So what we're going to do is take a little bit of mo- a little bit of time before I start talking and speaking. As the song is playing, I want you to take your prayers to God. This is your own time alone with God. This is our congregational prayer. The time is yours.
Father God, as we are here gathered this morning, and you have heard the, the, the prayers ascending to your throne, we pray, Father, that you will not just hear, but you will answer. We thank you for this privilege of, of granting us to worship you this morning. And as we continue, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, our, hear, our, our hearts, our ears to what you have in store for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer makes you feel lighter, doesn't it? It was the year 1994. I know some of you were not born yet. It was 1994. It was a summer. And I remember coming home from basketball camp, and my mom said, Hey, get your pack, pack your bags, to, and we're, we're leaving for Brazil. Now, those words may, may um, not relate, or, or, or you may not relate with, or with those sent, the sentiments that came up when I heard them, because it was the first time in eight years that we were going back home. See, we had come, when I was 10 years old, my, our, my family moved from Brazil to South Lancaster, Massachusetts. And there, my par- parents have anchored and are still there. That was 35 years ago. But in the summer of 94, we were going back for the first time. The first time that we were able to see family and loved ones, the very first time that we could think about, hey, man, you know, have some of the food that we grew up eating that we couldn't because it's Massachusetts. So we packed our bags and we left. A lot happened in that trip. I mean, for... You know, things, when, when, when you're young and you leave a certain place, your memory still holds on to that place like as, it, as if never was affected by time. Right? I mean, think about it. When you were growing up and going to your grandmother's house and then you, you leave, but your memory always stays the same. That house stays the same. The color, the smells, even though time changes a lot of these things, they change over time, but your mem- your, in, in your head, those things remain the same. So I remember when we arrived, we get a phone call, and it was my uncle, my dad's brother. I think it was, his, it was my uncle. But he, he told my dad, you need to come down. Mom just passed away. That wasn't the only thing that happened that trip. As I said, it was summer of 1994, and if you follow the real football, the one you actually play with your feet, because I I don't get this football, hand, no, that's hand, no, I'm not going to go there. So it's 1994, and Brazil won the World Cup. Amen. Amen. And I remember being in Rio, and Rio, if, if, you ever, if you have ever been to a big city like New York and Manhattan, um, 
I don't know Miami or Orlando enough to say that, but imagine South Beach, deserted. That's how real it was in every major city. When Brazil played, everything stops. I remember walking out at halftime, and even during halftime, it's like half an hour wait. There was nobody on the streets. You know when you see those old western movies and you see the tumbleweeds going down? Yeah, that's what it was, except it was just trash. <laughs> Flying papers all over the place. The, cell- the confettis from previous games that they had won. And I remember witnessing, and I'm like, this is crazy. It's amazing to think that the country stands still for a game. I'm sorry, you guys don't know what that's like. It, it can be the Super Bowl, it can be the World Series, it can, no, nothing is like an experience of watching your home, your own country where you were born win the World Cup in that moment in time. And so I remember the celebrations, the people coming out in the city after the games were over, and it was like a party. And they hadn't even won yet. Because when they won, the whole country erupted, and it's parties on the street, and it's, it's uh, fireworks going off, and it's an all-night affair. But that wasn't the only time that happened. It was also the last time I said goodbye to my grandfather. And I remember... My grandfather had these bright blue eyes. And he said, son, I'll see you when Jesus returns. And I'm like, why? We just got our green card. See, we, we went back to Brazil because at that time we needed to get a green card. You still needed to travel back to the, your, your country of origin to claim it. A month later, Luck ha- as luck would have it, they changed their law, so now we, nobody had to travel back. But we all had to travel back for that particular time. And so we received our green card, and now we're, we're seeing, we're, we, we're visiting our, our family and loved ones. And my grandfather is sitting there, and he says, see you when Jesus returns. And I'm like, why? Because now we have a way to come back. We couldn't before because we didn't have a green card. And he says, son, don't worry about it. And he was at peace. And I thought nothing of it. It wasn't until a year and a half later that we got the news that my dad's brother had passed away in an accident. And three months later, my grandfather passed away. That was the last time I saw either one of those, either one of them. 1994. And I kept asking myself, how does a person become at peace? Saying these words, see you when Jesus returns. It wasn't, it wasn't long ago, uh, about a month ago actually, I visited one of my former church members uh, in Massachusetts. I was, I was visiting, um, I was completing my military training every, as, as I have to every month. And I had some time off, well, 
I got off duty, and I said, I, I need to go check on this guy. So I went to visit him, still in full military gear, and I showed up, and, and this gentleman, he was sitting in his chair, and he sees me, and he tries to get up, and I said, no, don't, don't get up. He's like, what are you doing here? Because he, I had already moved. I had already been moved to Florida, and he didn't expect me to, to see me again. And I, I showed up, and he says, what are you doing here? And I said, I came to visit you. And he says, oh, why? I said, well, why not? And so we talked for a while, and, and, and as I was leaving, before I, I prayed with him, after I prayed with him, he said, you know, thank you for coming. It means a lot. See you when Jesus returns. I knew I wasn't going to see him again because I knew he was ill. My grandfather wasn't. My grandfather was fine. As a matter of fact, my grandfather was looking forward to what came next as a new widow, widower. But the question still remains, what gives the person peace of mind saying those words at, at certain stages in life, see you when Jesus returns? And so if I ask you, if somebody says those words to you, how do you feel? Sad? Confused? Angry? What emotions come across your, 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 your mind when you hear those words? See you when Jesus returns. You see, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't until much later in life that I began to question myself, well, why would he say those things? Honestly, I still have no, no reason or, or answer for, for that question. But the, what I do find is an answer to the, the second question that comes after that is, why did he believe what he believed? What, what drove him? So let me give you a little bit of context on, to, uh, on my grandfather. He was a coal porter for 40 years. Some of, some of you may be like, what's a coal porter? Well, let me translate that. That means he was a literature evangelist. Some of you are still like, well, what is that? Well, he was a book salesman. He knocked door to door for 40 years. He went from town to town, city to city, state to state, and in some cases, country to country, because he covered the whole southern, uh, southeast region of, of South America, where he had southern Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina, and, and Paraguay, by bicycle. And so, he did that. That was his livelihood. And the question still... It, it, you know, I, I asked myself this question, well, how does a person live that way? So the question that comes to my mind that I have to ask you this morning is, why are you a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Because if you think about it, there are inherently... There are some inherent complications to that question. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm, I, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist. That's okay. But why do you believe what you believe? 
And for those of you that are Seventh-day Adventists, which I believe may be the majority of us here, if not all, why are you an Adventist? Why do you believe what you believe? What? What makes you different than another Christian church? I mean, we, we all have, as Christians, we all have one common denominator. And you know what that is? Jesus Christ. That's a very common denominator across the board. But why Adventism? Well, what is the purpose of Adventism? Would anybody like to venture and guess what that is? What is the purpose? Why are we here? Why do we exist? To proclaim the coming of Jesus. Right? Some of you may have thought verses like Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. It says, therefore go into all the world and baptize and make disciples of all people. And, and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? You, so we have to go and, and baptize people and share the gospel. Okay, but... How still is that different from another Christian church? Because they all share that same text. How is that different? I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. Uh, on the screen, you, uh, you'll have it there. If you do not have a Bible and you would like to follow along, it is also in a Bible in front of you in the NIV version. I am going to be reading from the New King James. Just, that's the Bible I, I study from. It doesn't mean that it's better than yours. Okay? This is my preferred, personal preferred translation for study. And it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell in the earth, to every, tri every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So I heard from one of you here, says, to proclaim the, the coming of the Messiah. So that is one thing that we have. Again, we share that with other churches. When it comes right down to if you start looking, that's still the same. Well, why are we different? Let's continue. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Hmm. Now we're starting, we're starting to get to see a little bit different context here. And then verse 9, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, by the way, let me just say that this is not a literal mark. No one's going to stamp your forehead. No one's going to tattoo your hand. Okay? This is, I'll explain this in a little bit. 
He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with the fire and brimstone in the, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment ascends forever and ever. This is not literal, okay? This is not an everlasting fire. Just want to put that out there. And they have no rest day and night. Again, not literal. Who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So let me ask you this. I, I've met, you heard me say that context is what? Everything, right? The context of uh, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12 is what? Say again. Millennium? The three angels' message. Okay, awesome. That is one of the things that as Seventh-day Adventists we claim. And, and, if you, and if you have traveled a little bit, and if you've been around a little while, you have noticed that most Seventh-day Adventist churches have the pictures of three angels. We call this the three angels' message. What is the essence of the three angels' message? And yes, we have read that it is to proclaim the gospel. True. Not taken away from that. But what, again, context, anybody would like to venture to say what that context is. Worship, more specifically, the who? The creator. Worship is, a, is the essence and what makes Adventism unique. I didn't hear an amen. You know why I didn't hear an amen? When we have an idea of what worship ought to be without actually understanding what it is. If you go to any church, any typical Seventh-day Adventist church, you will find that the order of service varies from church to church. And, and you will have some holy saints say, this is the right way to worship. And others will say, no, this is the right way to worship. Some of you are like, yes, so you've been there, huh? This is not a problem here in Naples. <laughs> it's everywhere, unfortunately. And why? Because we have an idea of what worship should be without understanding what worship really is. So let me put in a, a, a shameless plug here. We are going to begin uh, discussing that. I talked about foundations. We're going to talk about a little bit of that. But I'm also here forewarning you, we're going to have a series on worship coming up. Beginning next week and we're going to study for four sabbaths the seven different words in the hebrew language which the old testament is written in what language hebrew the words that we have translated for praise see in the english language we only have one praise hebrew they had seven and every one of those words is a different meaning. It's a different context. It, I will tell you, it will, you will feel slightly uncomfortable. Trust me. I'm working on it right here. 
So for some of you, it might, it might be an eye-opening experience. For some of you, it might just confirm something you have already thought of. And for some of you, you will fight internally because it is so countercultural from what we, I'm putting myself in this, what we have been taught and have learned as to what worship is. When the essence of Revelation chapter 4, the essence of the three angels' message in Revelation chapter 14 is worship, worship more specifically the one who created the heavens and the earth. And when we, when we look at the, at the text here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, what does it say there? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Stop there for a minute. Have you heard those words echoed somewhere else in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. That means there's more than one individual, right? There's more than one person at the presence there in creation. And it says, And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not any that, anything made that was made. We later go on, to t- if we continue reading verse 4, it says that, and, and there was light in this world, but the world did not recognize it. And we understand that the, the one, the word, in the beginning, the word here that John is referring to is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is our creator. Jesus is the one who knelt down next to that formless body of, he later called Adam, and breathed into his nostrils. For some of you, it's like, no, the Bible says it was God. The Bible saying there was Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we worship. Jesus is the reason why we're here. Jesus is the reason why we believe what we believe. Because if you look at the book of Revelation, it's not a revelation of God. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's fully talking about who Jesus is. And it's not a Jesus that breathes fire and, and, and casts people to eternal torment. It's a Jesus who is fair and just. And you've heard me talk about this in the previous sermons. Grace is unfair. Because we all want it for ourselves, but we want justice for others. But the one who is just is the one who is gracious. So why Adventism? It is not because of the Sabbath, I can tell you that. But it's who we worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is an intricate part of that. Don't get me wrong, don't, do not hear what I'm not saying. What we believe in is we, we can justify and we can prove And this is not about proving our righteousness or our justice or being right. Because let me me just get something out of my chest here. I have so often heard people say, why aren't you an Adventist? I have heard, because we have the truth. So? Do you have Jesus? For some, yeah. For others, hmm. Not so much. Why are you an Adventist? Oh, we are God's remnant people. 
Yeah? What does that mean? Oh, we are, we are God's last day church. What does that mean? Because being remnant, if you look, if you do a Bible study, it's not about status. Being a remnant is about mission. It's about responsibilities. It's about reacting to the one who created us. When, we are, when, we, when you hear this idea that Adventism is the remnant, it's not because we are special, not because we are in, in, in a different status than everybody else, but it's because we've been given a different task. We've been given a different responsibility. Our responsibility, yes, it lies in the proclamation of the three angels' message, which is not just the soon coming, but it is everything that encompasses encompasses it and so here we find what gave my grandfather peace because he understood that when you serve when you allow yourself to be to serve god and to be a vessel you're at peace the sabbath school quarterly talked about jesus saying to take my yoke upon you for my Burden is what? Light. I think Jesus was crazy. Since when is a burden light? Since when is a yoke easy? No, but he doesn't carry it for us. And here's the thing. Because he asks us, if you ever, you guys, I'm not trying to offend anybody. But have you ever seen an actual yoke? It's heavy. And the context, when you look at it, he's saying, here, take mine yoke and put it on you. You know what his yoke was? To die for you. His yoke is to die for you so that you may have eternal life. And, and, and that yoke was so heavy that it prevented him from seeing the Father at that last moment in the cross. And he says, go ahead, take my yoke. Mine is easy. My burden is light. It's, it, it's not easy. It is not light. But it becomes easy and light when you surrender your yoke. See, we often, we read that text and we say, oh yeah, I'm going to take, take Jesus' yoke and put it on myself because his is light. What have you done with yours? We forget that in order to put Jesus' yoke on us, we have to take ours out. And this is what it is. This is why Adventism is so unique, because it focuses not on yourself. It's not about me being free, but it's about me telling others about my freedom. And that is what gave my grandfather peace. knowing that the task that God had given him to do, he fulfilled. Now, I'm not putting him in heaven. I don't believe that he was a saint. Lord knows how many whoopings I got from that old man. 
some of them unjustly. And I still remember it. But I do remember his passion. His passion for the Lord. To the point where he, one day we were sitting at church and we were having communion. Here's another shameless plug. We will have communion here shortly. Soon. And I asked him, I said, Grandfather, what does this all mean? I was eight years old. And he said, son, this is, and he explained to me exactly what it was, what the wine meant, what the bread meant. And, and I said, can I have some? And he said, sure. A couple weeks go by, and my, I see my grandfather with a heavy heart. And I said, hey, grandfather, hey, granddad, we, we called, I called him Vol, which is the short version of grandfather in Portuguese. I said, hey, Vol, what's going on? And he says, son, do you remember communion? And I said, yes. Um, the church board wants to bring your name for discussion for censorship. And I said, Why? What did I do? He said, you, took, you, you partook of communion. I said, so? He says, because you're not baptized. I said, well, what do you think is going to happen? He said, I don't know. You see, there are many times where we have placed traditions before biblical principles. And he understood that. And that's why he was okay with giving me communion at eight years old. So when he said, I'll see you when Jesus returns, he was at peace. It wasn't until... I would say probably six or seven years later. So it was 1994. I, I graduated college in 2001. In 2002, three, I can't remember the year exactly, I was working at Camp Winnipeg in Massachusetts. And I remember, if you've ever been to Camp Winnipeg, there's the famous lodge by the lake. And the rooms that are there are the hotel rooms. They haven't changed, okay? For those of you that have been there, they have not changed. They're still the same. Let me digress. But I remember going to bed one, one night, and I closed the curtains. I had my laptop. I closed it. I folded. I went to sleep, and I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I saw this bright light flashing through the lights. And, and I looked, and there was this loud sound, and I ran outside, and I looked outside, and I saw Jesus coming in the clouds. And I looked, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing bodies just go up to heaven. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And I'm looking to Jesus, and, and, and then it dawns on me that this is Jesus' second coming, that I'm, witness, I'm, uh, I'm witnessing myself, and, and I begin to get nervous. Exactly. Because I'm still on the ground and I'm seeing these people going to, up to heaven and they're, and they're smiling and they're happy and they're ecstatic and I'm looking and I'm looking at, at Jesus and I'm like, yo, man, I'm, can I come? 
and what felt like an eternity of that anxiety of am I saved or am I not when his, his eyes met mine and he says come and then I woke up and it was dark and eerie and gloomy Why are you an Adventist? Why do you believe what you believe? And I believe this is one of the texts that is, was dear to my grandfather in Revelation chapter 9, verse 10. It says this. Nope, that's not it. That's not it. It's 1910. It's 19.9. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are called. You know, you have been called to be, to participate in this supper. You've been invited to this marriage. You've been invited. This is the, the, the New Testament metaphor to illustrate that it's going to be like a, a, a wedding reception. It's going to be a party. It's going to be festive. I don't know what it's going to be like up there. And I don't know how I'm going to react when I, if and I'm praying that that's the case because the Bible tells us that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will rise first. I can't wait to see my loved ones again. But you see, for them, the time is over, and now it's only us who are alive. We can only take care of ourselves. We can only take care of my own individual salvation. And that's the challenge I have for you for this morning. Why do you believe what you believe? Are you ready for that day? And if not, you got time. It ain't over yet. God's grace is enough. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us already. But Lord, we want to be a part of that supper. You have called us. We have the calling. I pray that you give us the strength to be persistent in staying true to that calling. Father, I pray for your flock that you have entrusted me with. That as we begin to see the purpose and, and, and the reasons why we are here, why we believe what we believe, is not to set ourselves apart as being special or different, but because you have entrusted us with a gift of responsibility that will make our burden light because we will be focused on you and not of ourselves. We pray that you grant us peace as we go our separate ways. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.